family uh, that is just amazing. It means you've got brothers and sisters that look very different to you, that sound very different to you. People on this side of heaven, if they talk their, uh, their home language and you talk your home language, it's like, I have no idea what you're saying. But we are connected. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so as soon as you become a Christian, you become part of that. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, that's not me just yet. That's totally fine. Redeemer exists for people just like you. So you feel at home and welcome. But I want us to understand that you're part of something so much bigger. God's worldwide family of believers. People that have always existed following him from kind of in the history right up until Jesus comes again. The worldwide transgenerational family of Jesus. That's what we're, part, we're a part of. The Bible says one day we'll stand before his throne and there'll be people from every language and nation and tribe and tongue worshiping him. That's the church, capital C. But then we shrink that down a little bit and we're part of a family of churches. And there are many families of churches or denominations around the world. And we're part of a wider family of churches called New Frontiers. That's got churches in about 80 or 90 nations about two and a half thousand churches and uh, recently Karen and I were at a meeting with a number of different leaders and it's so humbling to see amazing people that are serving God that we're connected to that you guys here in Redeemer Rotterdam are connected to in the same family of churches we work together we've got the same values and DNA we love one another and you know what there are people we're connected to we heard from leaders in India talking about how other church, churches within our family are undergoing persecution and how leaders have been put in prison and how there's threats against uh, the opportunity just to worship God. We heard a, an amazing guy from Armenia, a guy called Karen, talking about what's happened recently with uh, Armenians, 100,000 Armenians needing to leave this region in Azerbaijan. We were talking about it and how they've needed to now come into Armenia and this church the church that we're connected to is helping to rehouse these believers he says they're big families it's like from this region the Armenians their average family size has about eight kids and so these people are arriving just having left their homes many of them left everything arriving and needing to be homed and this is our family of churches people have been giving to help support them and it's so moving I was sharing a story of uh, Karen shared about one woman who, who arrived in Armenia and described what it was like for her to leave where her family had lived for generations and the home which was so precious to her and she said I locked the door and as I walked away I looked back at my home and he, she said that I felt God speaking to me in that moment saying that's not your home your home is in heaven with me so okay well here we go like going as a refugee now back into a nation. This is our family of churches. These are people that we're connected to. And so within New Frontiers, New Frontiers is a worldwide family of churches, but it's made up of a number of families of churches and New Ground, what Phil referred to. That's us. And that we're in about six or seven different nations. There's a big New Ground church in uh, Cape Town. There are a couple of New Ground churches in Brazil. There are quite a few New Ground churches in France, there's quite a lot of new ground churches in the UK, and then there's us in Holland, Belgium, Germany. We're working a little bit closer together, and it's such a joy to be connected to one another going, hey, let's start more churches. Let's see more places coming to know Jesus, and let's do that together because we can do so much more together than we can apart. So that's what you're connected to, 
And that's why it's a, it's a real joy to be here with you this morning. And uh, I wanted you to know that because you're, you're not just meeting in this beautiful community center. <laughs> Sarah have said, like, man, this place is ugly. I'm like, this no, is beautiful. I think it's got its own special beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thinking, these guys have Christmas every Sunday. This is, a, this is pretty special. The whole year. You guys are big into Christmas. Um, but as Phil said, this is, this is the first Sunday of Advent, which is the build-up to Christmas. And so actually, all around the world, Christians kind of use these three, four weeks before Christmas just to go, God, we want to prepare our hearts for your, the, the celebration of you arriving in the world. For us in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm not a Northern Hemisphere of person of origin. I'm from Africa. So Africa, it's a bit different. It's just hot and light all the time. But in, in, uh, in Europe, these are like the dark months. And as we build up to Christmas, it's like, man, it's dark. It's cold, but the light is coming. Jesus, is, the light of the world is coming. And so Advent is also a special time of just kind of preparing our hearts, reflecting on who Jesus is and Him coming. And therefore, I'd love us to look at uh, this this morning. And we're going to do it from somewhere perhaps a little bit uh, unusual. And that's from the book of John, from the first 18 verses. Uh, John is a book in the New Testament. Most of you will know that written by a follower of Jesus called John. And it's an account of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. It's one of the four Gospels. Each four of those Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, were written by followers of Jesus who wanted to give an account of his life and death and resurrection. And so John, the fourth of those ones, starts off in a really beautiful way. I mean, the whole book is beautiful. The whole Bible is breathtakingly beautiful. But I love, I love how John starts because in the start of his uh, book, he uses poetry. The first few verses are literally poetry. And then he kind of zooms out and zooms in again and zooms out. But it gives us a, a, a real um, wonderful start to looking at the person of Jesus and therefore the importance of his arrival uh, that we celebrate at Christmas. So let's read from John chapter 1 together. I'll move back slightly while we're reading and then move back in front afterwards. So I'm going to read it through. We're going to read the first 18 verses. Uh, I'm going to make a couple of comments along the way and then we'll come back and really focus on one or two verses. But here we go. This is John chapter 1. Actually, before I even tell you this, he, he tells us John chapter 20, so right near the end of the book, he tells us why he wrote this book. I love it. So in John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, either he wrote this, so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's come back to that after we've read the passage. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. That's Jesus. He's talking about Jesus here. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So it's this kind of beautiful poetry. And then verse 6, he, he now gets really practical, zooms in. 
there was a man, a real man, he's talking about a man here, sent from God whose name was John. He's talking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist came ahead of Jesus and said, I'm preparing the way for someone who's much greater than me. That's who John the Baptist was. Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And then John zooms out again. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So Jesus, we started off hearing him as the word. And now we're hearing him as the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And, through, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Now, now John's jumping, jumping about a bit and he's saying, Jesus, in his, as, a, as a man, was on earth, obviously after his birth, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet who all, who, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not out of natural descent, nor out of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Now he goes into poetry again. The Word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Talking about Jesus is eternal. Jesus wasn't created by God. He was with God at the beginning. So he, John is going, Jesus is so much better than me. And out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. Some translations say grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who, his, who is himself God, and is closest, in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Do you remember why John said that he wrote this message? Why he wrote this whole book? He said, so that you... Writing to everyone who would read this, including you and I in 2023 in Rotterdam, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That's a, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the reason of writing the book of John. It's actually the reason of Redeemer Rotterdam being in existence. That you would know that Jesus is the Messiah. The people in Rotterdam would know that Jesus is the Messiah and not just know it in their head, but believe it. And that by believing that you would have life in his name. That's how God operates. That's why John wrote this book. That's why Redeemer is in existence. That's why Phil and Sarah moved with their family from London to move to Rotterdam. So that people would know Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, people would know that life inside them. A whole lot of things that come out in these opening verses become key themes through the book of John. But I want to kind of zoom in on a couple of things that I think God just wants to help us with as we look at the first subject of Advent this morning. As Phil said, we're going to look at this subject of hope, of hope. I wonder what you think of when you think of hope. 
we use hope quite easily in the English language. We say, I hope that Feyenoord win the Eredivisie. I hope that we have ice cream this afternoon. I hope someone baked babuti for lunch. And apparently that happened. Well done. I, I hope, we, we just use the word hope very easily. And hope, that, that, that's hopeful. That we can say there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that kind of hope. But that kind of hope is essentially wishful thinking. It's like, I really, I really wish Feyenoord do well this year. I really wish that this happens. I wish that this doesn't happen. I, I, we say hope, but what we really mean is wish. It's, it's our desire that it happens. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's of a completely different level altogether. It's not wishful thinking. It's a rock-solid, steadfast knowledge that what you desire will come to be. And the hope of the arrival of Jesus is, is the, the most important hope-wrapped-up thing in the whole of the Bible. And actually in the whole of history. Because... From right in the beginning of the Bible, we see people created in the image of God to know Him and love Him and enjoy Him. And instead of knowing Him and loving Him and enjoying Him, Adam and Eve, our first parents, go, Thanks God, we don't need you. We know more than you. We're going to do it our own way. And in doing that, theologians talk about the fall happened. We were created to know God, to be with Him, to have fellowship with Him. And instead we go, no thanks, we'll do it our own way. And so we fall as human beings. And that's right in the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. And then right through the Old Testament, there's this longing. We need help. We need rescue. We need a Savior. We can't do it by ourselves. And whenever we try and do it by ourselves, it doesn't go so well. And so th right throughout the Old Testament, we're going, now we need God. We need you to do something. We need a Savior. And in the beginning, as soon as Adam and Eve sin, the Bible also says God speaks to them and goes, what you've done is going to have consequences. But I'm going to do something in I'm going to do something which will change everything. He talks about out of your seed. In other words, one of your descendants, you will crush the serpent's head. It's this promise of a savior who will come and deliver them, a savior who will make wrong things right. And so through the Old Testament, there's this longing. We want that. God, we need that. We, we need to be delivered. And then we get to the book of Isaiah which is this beautiful book of, of prophecy in the Old Testament. And Isaiah chapter 9 says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's going, oh yeah, yeah, that, that's what we need. That's what we need. That he, he's looking forward to the arrival of Jesus. This was written 800 years before Jesus. And he says, You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you. It carries on, carries on. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. 
Who, who's going to do this? Is it going to be people doing this? No, it says the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The people in the Old Testament, God was teaching them to look forward in hope of deliverance and not like wishful thinking. I hope, I hope something happens because if it doesn't, we're in trouble. It's like, no, I believe rock solid, God, because you said someone's going to come that's going to crush the head of Satan. You said that unto us a child is going to be born. You promised this, God. And many other places in the Old Testament, including many other places in Isaiah, there's these prophecies building towards Jesus. One who would take the sin of the world on himself. One who would rescue God's people. And so God's teaching us in the Old Testament in hope to anticipate that. And when God says, I want you to put your hope in this, he's going, I want you to eagerly anticipate this. Not just wishful thinking, but I want you to believe me. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's a rock-solid assurance. God is going to do something, and I want you to wait for it. I want you to be in anticipation for it. I want you to fix your eyes and, and wait eagerly. <coughs> Waiting in the Bible is not passive. It's not sit back, well, I'll just wait and see what happens. Waiting in the Bible is active. It's going, God, I'm looking. I'm waiting. I'm anticipating. Why? Because you said it's going to come true. This is how God operates with us. I wonder what you're waiting for this morning. I wonder what God's spoken to you about. Some of you know, I know God's spoken to me about this. It hasn't happened yet. But God says, I want you to press in. If I've said it, it's going to come to pass. If I've said it, you can put your hope in that. And this beautiful, beautiful promise of a God who shines his light into our darkness. What does John, John say? In him was life, talking about Jesus. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh God, I need your light to shine into my life. I need your light to shine into the world around us. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. How beautiful is that? This picture, Jesus saying, God saying, I'm going to do something which is going to be light coming into the world. And it's not just a philosophical idea. It's not just a nice thought. It's wrapped up in a person. Hope in the Bible is wrapped up in the person of Jesus. As we, face, as we look towards Christmas this year, I just feel God wants to stir hope in us afresh. I feel like there's something for us around understanding the hope of salvation. That's what God was speaking about, that we would be saved. The Bible talks about God shining His light into our darkness. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 6 it says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So it's a hope for salvation. God, your light shining in that I would see you. I'd be saved. I'd be rescued. When we talks about uh, light breaking in, it's about salvation, but it's also about help. That God would help us. When you become a Christian, the Bible says God takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and puts you into the kingdom of the Son He loves. That's salvation. God rescuing us from darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, or the kingdom of light. 
So the, the, the hope of the light of God is about salvation, but it's also about help that in our lives we're going to face dark and difficult things. Psalm 112 verse 4 says, Even in the darkness, light dawns for the upright. What a promise. I can go through life and sometimes things are really dark. But I know even in the darkness of my circumstances, I have a Savior who is full of light. And His light shines in my heart. And God, you can help me through this present series of difficult things. Some of us are going through difficult things this morning. And I'd love to pray in, in a few minutes for you. I'd love us to pray for you. Bible talks about suffering produces um, perseverance and perseverance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So we have the hope of Jesus to save us. Jesus, we need a savior. I'm stuck in darkness. I need to be rescued. But we also have the hope of Jesus who rescues us from difficult circumstances, who meets us in difficult circumstances, who works in us in difficult circumstances to become more like Him. And then we read about the hope of Jesus, the light of Jesus breaking through is about His glory. It's about Him. It's about lifting our eyes to see how amazing He is. God wants us to know His glory this morning. The Enlightenment was people's uh, attempt in the last few hundred years to go, we don't need God, we can produce our own light. And there were some good things coming out of that, of leaving behind things that needed to be left behind. But whenever we say, we don't need God, we can do our own things, then that human-centered thing doesn't go well. But when we lift our eyes and say, God, I need your light. This is all for you, it's for your glory. It, it, Jesus opens up our eyes to see him. This is applicable to us personally. Psalm, Psalm 18 verse 28 says, You Lord keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. Psalm 42 11 says, Why my soul are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The, the song we started off this morning is about those who put their hope in God will renew their strength and they'll soar on wings like eagles. There's so much in this. This is just like, God, when I read this, this is for me. God, I'm, I'm hoping, anticipating in you. I'm anticipating your goodness and your breakthrough. I, I know you've saved me, God, but I, I know there's more for me. I know, God, you, you want to heal me. I know you want to break through. God, I know you've got uh, work for me to do. I'm anticipating things of you doing in my life. But often when we read stuff in the Bible and we go, this is all about me. God's reminding us, it's not just me, it's we. God's going, this is not all for you. I'm going to meet you. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. But I'm going to put you in family. And it's you together. And we have this very strong thing in the West to make it all about us. But God's saying, no, 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 no. The arrival of my son Jesus is about we. It's about God making a people. It's about God doing something beautiful among a people. Isaiah 60 says this, Arise and shine, 
Uh, Arise, shine, for your light has come, speaking to the people of God, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, thick darkness covers the earth, uh, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord has risen upon you, plural, and His glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. In the Psalms it says, May your unfailing love be with us, Lord even as we, we put our hope in you. Hope is a corporate exercise. Hope is saying, God, we believe this together. God, we want to hold on to you together. This morning, I'm not sure what you are looking forward to or how you are looking forward. Are you looking forward in uncertainty? Are you looking forward in anxiety? Are you looking forward in worry or in fear? But the arrival of Jesus teaches us that we can always look forward in hope. And that's so incredibly important. We can always look forward in hope. Because Jesus, the light of the world, hope wrapped up in a person, meets us in our darkness. He rescues us from the kingdom of darkness and brings us into his kingdom. He saves us and then he ongoingly saves us even through difficult circumstances, suffering produces perseverance, produces character, produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts, and we find that God always is working in us for His glory. God is always changing us and shaping us. God is always making us more like Him, and we realize whatever's happening in life, circumstances can seem so difficult. But God, you're calling me forward in a hope that is eternal. Jesus says, I'm going ahead of you to prepare a place for you. That we can look forward in great hope, going, God, you've got my life in your hands. God, there is always hope for the righteous, those who God has saved. There is always hope in him. What are you facing today that causes your hope to be challenged? Maybe it's ongoing sickness. Maybe it's relational challenges. Maybe it's worry around finances or anxiety about how things will work out. Maybe it's joblessness. Or maybe it's health things. You think, man, just this stuff going on in my body, which I'm not sure how it's going to work out. This morning, because of Jesus, you can know hope that, God, you've got my life in your hands. Even if the worst possible thing happens and I die... That's the best possible thing because I get to be with you. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, uh, <clears throat> one of the great heroes of mine is a guy called John G. Payton. And he was a Scottish um, missionary who went to the New Hebrides in uh, the 1870s. And the missionaries who had gone out from Scotland before him had been eaten by cannibalistic tribes as they set foot on the beach. So they got off the boat onto the beach. They were killed and eaten. And so when, when he went, <laughs> this is quite funny. Actually. It's a story. When he went, um, he, 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 he was sent by the Scottish Missionary Society, but they were not very happy about sending him at first. And they said, you'll be eaten by cannibals. And he said this wonderful thing. He said, one day we're all going to be eaten by worms, but I want to live my life for the glory of God. And he took his wife, who was pregnant, and they arrived there. They weren't killed and eaten on the beach. But his wife 
uh, gave birth to their son just a few weeks after arriving, and his wife died in childbirth, and he nursed his baby son for two weeks, and then his baby son died. And he said he, he just knelt at the grave where he'd buried his son next to his wife. And he said in that moment, he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he just like was like, man, this pain is too great, but God, I'll do what you've called me to do. And throughout his years, there was incredible hardship and danger, incredible difficulty. At first, no, no one really responded. One person did respond, and that person became his translator. And it said him and, him and this guy were surrounded by uh, tribes people who wanted to kill them. They had spears and stones and, and um, arrows to shoot. And he said they were all edging one another on to be the first one to strike and to kill them. And he said, in this scene where I was surrounded by these people, he said, in that moment, I lifted my eyes up to heaven. And I realized that no spear could leave the hand, no stone could leave the hand to strike me unless God allowed it to. And that I was immortal until God called me home. And he said, as I realized this, I was filled with such a peace that transformed the whole situation. I don't imagine many of us this morning are surrounded by cannibalistic tribes. <laughs> but I think we are surrounded by very scary enemies of sickness, of relational difficulty, of pain, of future uncertainty, of financial challenges. And the arrival of Jesus, the light of the world, means that into my present circumstances of darkness, God's light can shine and I can lift up my eyes to see the God of light who shines his light into my heart. What does it say in Corinthians? To give me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. To go, okay, God, my hope is in you. And what does that hope look like? It means that I can experience breakthrough right now. I can be healed right now. Helen, I heard you were healed at the prayer meeting. I was at that prayer meeting. That's fantastic. That's wonderful. Like God can break through into my darkness now and there can be healing. But do you know what? Unless Jesus comes back before Helen dies, she's going to still die one day. Like, we're gonna, we can receive breakthrough now, but we're still going to die. We can receive financial imp, uh, like breakthrough now, but that's not going to satisfy our lives. We can, we can have breakthrough now, and that's wonderful, but ultimately, we're still going to die. But when God breaks through, we can experience, God, I've got peace. God, I want you to break through now. I believe you can. God, you will. I've got hope in you that you will. And God can do that. And even if he doesn't, it's okay, God, because one day I'll be with you. And you will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. As Christians, we've got a hope in God for now and a hope in God for not yet. This morning, I'd love, to, I'd love us to pray before we have lunch together.